faithwire.com. Joe Biden grilled by ABC's George Stephanopoulos, and he gave some bizarre answers. Today's Thursday, August 19th, 2021. I'm Dan Andros. Well, that story and more coming up on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faithwire. Four big stories, three things you need to know about them all from a Christian perspective. Joining me today, as always, Trey Gons Phillips from faithwire.com to we'll look at what's coming up. What's going on, Trey? Hey, Dan. It has been just like... Non-stop news this week. Yeah. Uh, so, but coming up on the podcast, we have uh, the mob is going after Carrie Underwood, <laughs> the social media mob, not a literal mob. Right. They're going after Carrie Underwood because she liked to tweet condemning mask mandates <laughs> for little kids. God, the horror there. The uh, horror. Yeah. Uh, then, yeah. Uh, California woman. She's gone viral for a speech that she gave at a county supervisor's meeting on COVID restrictions, and MSNBC just ran a column comparing pro-lifers to the Taliban. Oh, so many similarities there. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Too many to count. Too many to count. Must have been a really long column. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right. We'll look forward to those. And we're going to start right here with President Joe Biden finally taking some questions from the media after waiting several days to address them while a major crisis was unfolding before the eyes of the world. Vice President Kamala Harris, meanwhile, she still hasn't really said anything publicly on it. Uh, on the Afghanistan tragedy that's unfolding. Back on April 25th, however, when she was kind of soaking in the positive press accolades for making the decision to pull out of Afghanistan. Remember, this was celebrated at the time over all the media saying, yay, we're getting out of Afghanistan. And so she was happy to get in front of the cameras for that one, proudly confirming to CNN that she was the last person in the room with Joe Biden when he made the call to pull out of Afghanistan. And Dana Bash from CNN said, and you feel comfortable with that, with Biden's decision. And she said, I do. And I'm going to add that this is a president who has ex an extraordinary amount of courage. And Harris has lurked behind Biden. You may have noticed in nearly every one of these like public addresses or statements he gives, there's Kamala in the background sort of just hovering there. But she, she's been noticeably absent this time around when Biden has hopped in. She's not, she's not sitting there lurking in the back. Uh, ABC's George Stephanopoulos did do an interview, and it featured some really shocking moments. This, this one clip in particular has Americans kind of up in arms. It was when he interrupted and seemingly dismissed the horrific scene we saw of Afghans clinging to the plane and falling off. And he just kind of said it was old news. That happens about 50 seconds in. This clip runs a little over a minute. So just, just take a listen to the whole thing. There's a few things we got to go over uh, after it. So, But here's, here's Joe Biden on with George Stephanopoulos. When you look at what's happened over the last week, was it a failure of intelligence, planning, execution, or judgment? Look, I don't think it was a failure. Look, it was a simple choice, George. When the, when the Taliban... Uh, let me back it, put it another way. When you had the government of Afghanistan, the leader of that government, getting in a plane and taking off and going to another country, when you saw the significant collapse of the, of the uh, Afghan troops we had trained, over, up to 300,000 of them, just leaving their equipment and, and, and taking off, that was, you know, I'm not, this, it, it, that, that's what happened. That's simply what happened. But we've all seen the pictures. We've seen those hundreds of people packed into a C-17. We've seen Afghans falling. That was four days ago, five days ago. What did you think when you first saw those pictures? What I thought was we're, we have to gain control of this. 
We have to move this more quickly. We have to move in a way in which we can take control of that airport. And we did. So you don't think this could have been handled, this actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that mm. there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. Some observations there. Just a stunning clip. First of all, at the beginning, he said it was, wasn't was a failure. Yes. I mean, I don't know. Anyone, I don't know anyone saying it's not a failure. It was abjectly, uh, objectively, objectively a failure. No doubt <laughs> yeah. about it there. Also, um, the the four to five days thing when he interrupted and said, hey, it was four days ago. I mean, there are a lot of people now up in arms kind of dismissing the or criticizing the empathy as he dismissed one of the really most horrific things we've seen probably since 9-11. A lot of people were comparing it to 9-11. So desperate, you know, you're going to die either way or you think you're going to die either way. And so you have to make a choice of which way you, you know, would rather go. And these desperate people were clinging to airplanes. That's not something you just move on from in a couple days. And so that was a very odd moment there in the interview. Also, this is the first time anyone has been able to ask the president a question about it. So to somehow claim it's old news when you've been restricting access to yourself, it's just beyond the pale. You, you can't sit there and go, ah, come on, that's old news. You, you've been hiding. You haven't been answering any questions. Uh, and so second, second observation here, the, the claim that he knew chaos was going to happen either way, which he said at the end there, things price into his decision, that raises a lot of questions. For starters, last month, Biden's on tape saying that that wasn't going to happen, that the Afghans were well equipped and they were ready. So that is that is a contradiction there, a, a glaring one. And second, if he knew it was going to be this bad, why did you do it? So neither answer is good. And so people are pointing this out and you have a lot of people criticizing uh, this interview and, and you can check out, we have the link to it on faithwire.com and the article up there uh, today. But why does it matter, Trey? Well, I mean, it matters because for, for the plain reason that there are thousands of people who risked their lives for our country, we made promises to them, these interpreters, these people that uh, helped American soldiers. I mean, there's gut-wrenching yeah. stories of these guys they weren't just translating. Um, there's one particular one that's making the rounds on the internet now that we're seeing their story, a, an interpreter named Zach, who who helped a Marine who recounts these stories of him. You know, they'd intercept on the radio that they were trying to ambush the patrol that they were in. Later on, they're walking and they he sees the guy who said it. This is the interpreter. And he sprints across the field and tackles the guy so that they can detain him. Um, the same, the same interpreter had, you know, a, a soldier went down and he picks up the gun and he's shooting to cover, to do cover fire and shoot at the enemy while they could get this soldier out of there. So th these people are extraordinary heroes. And what's happening now to see these very same heroes have their visas rejected when we made promises to them, we told them we would help them if they helped us. And then now they're just getting their visas rejected for no stated reason, rejected again and again and again. And for a country and an administration that claims to be a moral nation, this is just an abomination that needs to be fixed, whatever the cost. Yeah, and it just, like, the more details that come out about this and the, the, the further removed we get from, the, you know, the initial pullout, uh, the more 
obvious it becomes how completely unprepared the yeah. administration was yeah. for what's going on. Even uh, I think it was this morning, uh, John Kirby, he's a, the spokesperson for the Pentagon, he was asked, uh, "Well, how many Americans are still left in Afghanistan that we need to, you know, to to get to the United States?" And he just said, oh, "I don't know." I don't know. Like he's it's unbelievable. And, I mean, he was completely caught flat-footed. And the journalist even said, "I don't remember what network the reporter was from," but the reporter said, "So you knew going in that there were obviously military and and government personnel that you needed to get to get out, but there were also civilian personnel, uh, you know, contractors, whatever, who needed to come out, and you don't know that you didn't know the number of those people before." Yeah, or uh, even a guesstimate. I mean, I mean, not yeah, even an estimate, right? And he and that was he said you don't have an estimation of how many people. And uh, Kirby just not, you know, completely oblivious, had no idea. Yeah. Like, well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, because that how do how do you how do you start right. this process that you know even to <laughs> Biden's you... admission, I knew it was going to be chaos. And it's like so you didn't want to seek to control as many aspects of it as you could you just thought well since it's going to be chaos let's just do it all chaotic let's just do it all chaos and like it makes no sense that you wouldn't even have at least a guesstimate on the number because how would you well we're going to go get them out well how, how do you know how many planes to bring in there you know right. you have to at least go, that's like the first question you'd ask okay well how many people do we need to get out i mean you'd think they'd at least have been poking around and have a, a you might not be able to get an exact number i mean that's under people right. will understand that but are we talking dozens? Are we talking hundreds? Are we talking 10,000? I mean, what are we talking here? Because that kind of will make a difference in how you handle the evacuation. Crazy. Yeah. And I mean, just to act, to be like kind of blindsided by the question, like, well, I don't know why. <laughs> right. you're asking. I don't why know. would you ask I that? <laughs> like, like, well, it, I believe it was your decision to go ahead and pull us out of Afghanistan. Yeah. So <laughs> should you not have prepared for these contingencies? And it's just, it's terrifying, honestly, to see uh, reports of so many Americans who are literally fending for themselves. I mean, actually fighting uh, yeah. for themselves and ended up getting wounded by Taliban uh, officials just trying to get into the airport. And these are people who are either Afghan Americans, uh, Afghans with visas or with just, you know, uh, American citizens who are over there working with the government. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's a mix of all kinds of different people who are just trapped and fending for themselves right now. Yep. Yeah. Horrible, horrible. So and we will keep it up for sure. Sure. And, we'll, and we will keep updating that story as it, as it evolves. Yeah, absolutely. All right, story number two. So there's all kinds of uh, of real news going on, as we just talked about. Uh, but people <laughs> who live on the Twitter sphere uh, are apparently angry about something else altogether. They're angry at Carrie Underwood. Oh. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, we'll start with, uh, number one, the details here. So on Wednesday, a mob of angry social media users directed their ire at the 38-year-old entertainer after she liked a tweet from Daily Wire writer and podcast host Matt Walsh, who shared a portion of his speech in front of the school board in Nashville, uh, where both he and Underwood live. He condemned the cruel and indefensible mask mandate for children, that's what he called it, and the Walsh argued that COVID-19, even with the Delta variant, poses, quote, almost no risk to our kids at all, noting that although more than 4 million children have contracted the virus, a total of 0.008% of them have passed away from it. 
He went on to accuse the board of simply playing politics uh, over the the mask mandate for for kids. And Walsh's Walsh's speech got plenty of attention in the news, but it has since been eclipsed on social media uh, by Underwood's decision to like a tweet about it. (laughs) So one person said the singer-songwriter is, quote, helping spread anti-mask and anti-vax misinformation. Of course, we should note that Underwood has neither said nor tweeted anything herself. She just liked a tweet by Walsh uh, that leftist pastor John Pavlovitz, he wrote, Carrie Underwood uh, being God over science, uh, being a God over science person is the least surprising thing I've heard today. <laughs> I have to say, I honestly, I'm not even certain what that means. Mm. Um, you just but, wanted to trigger me the, today. You just tried to trigger me today with that quote, didn't you? Didn't you, Trey? <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the criticism there uh, from John Pavlovitz. And then another person said that Underwood is canceled in my book. Uh, Underwood, though, did find plenty of support on social media, too. Fellow singer Danny Goki, he said that he fully supports Underwood and condemned cancel culture as a cancer on society. And podcaster Ali Stuckey over the blaze, she wrote, Carrie Underwood liked a video about kids not being forced to wear masks, a position totally supported by data. And she's being called an anti-vaxxer. In case you thought your nuanced takes would save you from the leftist cancel mob, they won't. So, uh, number two, this is just ridiculous. How is it that Afghanistan has descended into chaos? The White House (laughs) is struggling to explain its decisions. Haiti is being hit uh, by all sorts of horrific natural disasters. And this is what people are talking (laughs) about on social media. I mean, Carrie Underwood's name was a top trend (laughs) yesterday on Twitter. Oh, man. Like, it just... Okay, so here's my takeaway from this. This just reveals how privileged we are as Americans. I don't care what your ethnicity is, what your sexual orientation is, whether you're a man or a woman, uh, young or old, we are all incredibly privileged that this is the thing that we get up in arms about. Yeah. Uh, So, number three, why does it matter? Look, Underwood is a mother of young kids. She lives in Nashville, like I said. Uh, so these mandates are going to have an impact on her and her family, her children, her and her husband. It's going to have an impact on all of them. Uh, you know, and she should be free to have her opinion. All yeah. she did was like a tweet. She didn't even really state an opinion. Uh, and the unfortunate reality, I guess, for a lot of people on the left is that famous people, some of them, are just regular everyday people and some of them are going to happen to be conservative and you're just going to have to get over that and accept it uh, and honestly as far as i'm concerned dan this should just 100 percent not be a story no no it shouldn't be a story and um, it, honestly i'm hoping that carrie doesn't cave and write anything about it just write yeah not because just that is it. Yeah, ignore it i mean the the, the mob is fickle and they just move around from target to target, and it's so random, and it's so dumb. And I don't understand. I think it would be really great to talk to a psychologist at some point, Trey, just on you know our podcast or on you know YouTube or something here at CBN and Faithwire, and just explore the mindset of and the psychology of Twitter. Like, why do we care? it's like 1%. I think there was a study done of basically 1% of all Americans are on Twitter. And um, we know a lot of it's like media driven. You know, you've got influential people kind of bouncing things back and forth, looking at narratives that are being bantied about. But there's really no, it's like a separate parallel universe. It's not real. And so many times you take these opinions so seriously from accounts and people that you don't even know anything about them 
And they, you don't know their education level. You don't know how much thought they've put into something. You don't know if they've, and I think a lot of times people will project their own. Um, I know I do this. So like if I see somebody respond to one of my comments, I'll, I'll assume that they've put the same level of thought into it that I have or that they're approaching it with, uh, you know, you know, trying to make a good faith argument. And there's almost no chance that that's true 90% of the time. And so then you start going yeah, back and forth with a... somebody and it's like, it's just a utter waste of time, a complete yeah. waste of time. So I really hope Carrie Underwood just doesn't do anything with that. Just ignores it. Yeah, I would, I would completely ignore it. Cause it makes me think of the uh, Mumford and Sons. Yeah. Uh, banjo player. I, I, his, I'm blanking on his name right now, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, he went through the exact same situation and you look he made a decision for him and his family and and he wanted to protect his band of mates because they're good friends and you know whatever i'm not going to condemn him for his choice to back away from the band yeah. um but the point is is that that wasn't even good enough like so it was like nothing will ever be good enough uh for the this group never. on the left yep, who were insistent that that everything has to be canceled because then it was like well he de- he deleted his tweets and, and apologized that wasn't enough. So then he left the band and that's not really enough because he's not being, you know, contrite enough in his sins and he needs to do more and like show that he's quote unquote doing the work. So it's like, you know, when are you going to catch on that? No matter how many things, how many steps you follow, uh, it's just going to ratchet up and it's never going to be enough. So I think the best case scenario for Carrie at this point is just completely ignore it, move on. People love you. And you know, you, you I'm certain she gained some fans, uh, and anybody who really cared about her music, she didn't lose any, any right. people who no. were you know, good, no. good and, fans. And look, even so at, just, yeah, yeah, just stand firm because even at the end of the day, people will respect you for sticking to your guns and yep. just have an opinion and stick to it. So, um, all right, well, hopefully she stays firm. Hopefully we're not we're not doing an update <laughs> of her apologizing in a day or two. So, um, I don't see that happening, but we'll. I've been surprised before, so. All right, here we go. Let's go to story number three. Brittany Mayer, resident in San Diego. She's been vocal online about California's COVID restrictions. And then the last straw uh, was when San Diego here, officials on Monday called on local employers to verify that all of their workers have been vaccinated against the coronavirus or require them to get weekly COVID tests. This was uh, their response, the county's response to the uh, a recent spike in the Delta variant cases. So people have just had enough with, between Newsom and everything else going on in California with the restrictions. They're kind of ground zero for some of these restrictions. So a lot of people showed up at this meeting, um, including Brittany and um, some other uh, Christians from Awaken Church, including the pastor. So here's, uh, here's a little bit of Brittany's speech that has gone uh, viral uh, last night. America is not a hospital. California is not a hospital. San Diego, it's not a hospital. This is a constitutional republic that guarantees protection of individual freedom and liberty and due process. This applies to our individual pursuits of medical interventions and health practices. San Diego is not a hospital floor that we collectively have checked into that subjects all patients to equitably prescribed medical care with 
no due process. Our Constitution does not secure for government power to impose forced equity in medical mandates and interventions or the punish or the power to punish carte blanche. So there, there you have it. And she went on to say, she added at the end there, that we're, we're done. The consent of the governor is removed. We will not comply. We don't consent. You are on notice. We will constitutionally remove all petty tyrants beginning now. And um, a large round of applause came out after that. And then the biggest target of uh, was the board member Nathan Fletcher. And he responded on Instagram with just some really condescension. And he said... Please stop saying you researched it. You didn't research anything, and it's highly probable that you don't even know how to do so. And just to give you an idea of the snark, it was, did you compile a literature review and write abstracts on each article, or better yet, did you collect a random sample of sources and perform independent probability statistics on the report results? No. I mean, did um, he do that? No, yeah, right. <laughs> and again, they're not... Uh, they're not talking about... Um, the 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 different things about COVID in and out. It's it's about right. the restrictions. It's about the restrictions. Yeah. So uh, a couple observations here. You know, we're still looking for an end game on the restrictions. What number's good? As you mentioned this week, Trey, is is it zero COVID? What are we doing? Um, and also, more people are beginning to just stand up to the restrictions. You're seeing it at these hearings and everywhere else uh, because it's been a year and a half, and we and we don't want to normalize government levers like this. Like them being able to just turn them on, turn them off, because it's going to, you know, the more people get comfortable with that, it's going to seep into areas like climate change and quote unquote hate speech, and, you know, First Amendment rights, et cetera, Second Amendment, declare an emergency and you can get people to go along with anything. So why, why does it matter? I mean, it matters because if we enjoy our status as a free nation, for the most part, we we need to speak now or don't complain about it later when you can't. Story number four. So uh, yesterday, MSNBC published a column by a writer who compared pro-lifers to the Taliban. <laughs> so here are the details. I'll start with that. So the column was written by Dean Obadala, who warned that the... Taliban aren't the only ones trying to impose on women's bodies and choices. He wrote this amid all that's going on in Afghanistan, like we talked about earlier in the podcast, where fellow Americans are literally fighting to get home, as I mentioned. So here's what Obadala wrote. Over the last few days, the airwaves have been filled with Republicans voicing their deep concern over the rights of women of Afghanistan. And yet I have to wonder where these voices were when extremists, based on an error reading of their religion's beliefs enacted a law that forces a woman who was raped to carry the fetus of the rapist to term. If conservatives, he continued, uh, want to show they're really concerned about women in Afghanistan, where, by the way, they're subjected to routine sexual assault, forced marriages, underage teens, stoning, hanging, are restricted for participating in society, uh, they can't testify in court for themselves because women aren't reliable sources. So, so all of that is going on. But Obadala says that if conservatives want to show they're really concerned about the women of Afghanistan, then they need to first begin by championing the human rights of women in the United States. And by championing the human rights of women, he means supporting abortion. Right. Uh, so Obadala went on to write the, that the GOP is doing all it can to prevent gender equality while oppressing women based on its members' extreme religious beliefs. It's just a crazy comment. So <laughs> here's number two. It's it's just so insane, honestly, to equate the Taliban to pro-life conservatives yeah. in the United States. So Marjorie Dannenfelser, the president of the pro-life group Susan B. Anthony List, 
said MSNBC does the nation a great disservice in allowing this peace to run, which exploits Afghan women, ignores their values, and smears pro-life Republicans who are fighting every day in Congress to defend the lives of American women and their unborn babies from the extreme agenda of the abortion lobby. Couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. I just think that the, 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 the piece itself is just so patently crazy. Uh, so number three, why does it matter? Like, you know, when I hear these arguments about women's rights, Dan, my first thought is always about uh, the rights of the unborn female that we apparently aren't concerned <laughs> right, about. Right, right. Uh, so, I mean, as a mother, I, I, I understand your body is absolutely necessary to carry this unborn baby to term uh, for nine months. But that child is a living, breathing person. Uh, who is made in the image of God as believers, we know that, and they can't speak, he can't speak for him or herself, uh, and they need someone to defend them. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but but to equate people who are wanting to, <laughs> to do that, to defend these unborn children uh, to the Taliban uh, is just... I mean... That that's literally is, is crazy. It is crazy, and, and I really, again, uh, this is social media run amok, uh, you know, this is that social media hot take thinking and you're putting it out there in real life and it's kind of like, all right, let's see how this one flies. And then you get a lot of, yeah. you know, people that go, yay, and just, <laughs> I don't know, I guess if you get a chorus of people cheering on your ridiculous arguments, people then are emboldened to keep doing it. But that, yeah. you know, that's a very Romans one ish, you know, sort of vibe where it's like, you know, people are evil is good, good is evil. And it's just getting flipped on its head. I mean. It's like people don't even think about what abortion is when they're talking about it. Like they just no. It just skips their mind that they don't even get that it's actually ending a life. But um, but such is the time we live in now, Trey. <laughs> yeah, and I want to go out on a limb to say uh, that, and I know that this is a stretch, but I think it is probably more logically consistent for one to be pro-life and anti-Taliban <laughs> yes. than the other way around. Because, that is a, that is a um, huge stretch, Trey. You're a man. You're taking a I, I risk. Just, <laughs> I just think that the pro-life person who's defending the indefensible uh, are, are, are under people who can't defend themselves yeah. are also defending, you know, you know, let's stand up for women who can't defend themselves. Yeah in the Taliban seems consistent to me. Yeah. I don't, know. don't respond with logic to any of these arguments, Trey. That won't <laughs> yeah. go over well. So, all right, head on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com, more news from a Christian perspective. God bless. We will be back here tomorrow. See you then.